You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. to this month's episode of Archaeology and Ale. The Archaeology and Ale podcast is a recording of a monthly series of talks presented by Archaeology in the City, part of the University of Sheffield Archaeology Department's Outreach Program. These talks are hosted upstairs at the Red Deer Pub in Sheffield on the last Thursday of the month during the academic year. But if you can't make it to Sheffield, don't worry because you can listen here online thanks to the Archaeology Podcast Network. To find out more about archaeology and ale, including community events, upcoming talks, and demonstrations or activities at your school or community group, look us up on Facebook, Twitter, or WordPress. For more information about this month's presentation and the speaker, please check the show notes on the Archaeology Podcast Network Archaeology and Ale page. Thank you. So, thanks for coming, everybody. If you want to try them beers, I trust you, dude. Um, so there is a, a cherry beer, there's a which don't contain any ops. There's one that's moderately opt, and then there's one that's a modern American IPA that's stuffed full of ops. If you just try and think about like differences in flavour at three different beers, and then imagine what that would taste like in sort of seven or eight hundred years, that's Essentially, what I'm trying to do is reconstruct them tastes now on medieval stuff. Obviously, we don't have any samples, so we had to look at a different way that we would uh, do that. And we decided on pottery. So we came up with this kind of crazy idea that we would um, fire a laser at pottery and see if we could reconstruct what beer was like. So we thought, okay then, let's, if, if we're going to do it, let's like, take it seriously and do it properly. So we came up with some uh, research aims, and that was to assess feasibility of identifying beer and ale in archaeological ceramics. And the second one was, as a, as a more of an archaeological question, was when did they introduce hops in Britain? So if you look at uh, all written sources, it's really unclear when that happened. So before we had ops, we had this thing called gruit that uh, everybody used for bittering. So they didn't put hops in beer, they put a mixture of all these herbs. So like these here, uh, lots of them. And like I said, uh, documentary evidence, I know you can't see this, but uh, it's really unclear. <laughs> so, so there's a document in Westminster Abbey, I think it comes from 
I think it's from a different abbey, it's just been stored there. But that talks about hops and it's 11th century in date. Then there's a book, this former curie by Samuel Pegg, um, and this says, this states that hops weren't introduced until after Henry VIII. So you've got sort of like 500 years there where we're not sure whether we were using hops or not. So we decided on medieval period and these are reasons that we, we did so. So you've got rise at monastic orders. So monasteries became really, really powerful in this period, so much so that Henry VIII decided to get rid of them all because they were costing too much money. Um, uh, monasteries are by far biggest producers of beer in country. So to give you an idea, um, at Durham Priory, they're producing 1,200 litres a month. So to put that into context, based on sort of cartillary when it says about issuing malt and stuff, you would need 27 hectares of barley to produce that much beer. That's per month. And if you think the, the estimate that it's one man, one beast, one day, one, feet, one hectare, that's 27 days worth of ploughing to produce enough barley. So they, they're investing huge amounts of time and effort and labour. And, and final reason we chose uh, medieval period was monasteries kept uh, extensive records, Granada's records. They don't, they don't tell you specifics. What they do tell you is like how much grain malts they were issued, how much, um, how much malted barley the brewer were issued. So then you can work out, get, try and get an idea about um, sort of how much they're producing and stuff. So this is, my this is what I'm saying is my medieval period, what I'm going to study. It starts at Norman Conquest and ends at Reformation in 1536. So we thought we'd best come up with some research questions. If we're going to do this, I'm going to do it serious. So the first one was, is it possible to produce a fingerprint of residues and archaeological ceramics using Maldi MSI? So this is where laser firing comes in, <laughs> where we fire a laser at a piece of pot. So this is what Maldi MSI is. So it's matrix-assisted laser desorption ionization mass spectrometry imaging. And initially, you need to prepare your sample in form of a thin section. Then you need to spray that sample with a, a matrix. And this sort of, this ionizes, this aids in ionization process. And what happens is you fire a laser at it. And if you imagine a cube of sugar and you fire a laser at it and the energy generated from that laser makes that cube break up and you get the individual granules of sugar. Then what happens is it captures that in a gas. It goes into this, which is the, the mass spec. And what it does cleverly is while it's in the chamber, it records where it starts and it records where it finishes. And it measures time that it takes for that individual granule to get from A to B. And because you know energy that you've put into it from laser, you know time of flight, what they call it, TOF. So you know time it took for it to get from beginning at chamber to end at chamber. From that, you can work out its molecular weight. 
Then from the molecular weight, it'll produce a spectra with <coughs> hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different molecular weights in it. So then you do your data mining, whereby you, there are extensive databases online where you can look for individual compounds and that their weight. They're not unique. They might be 20 compounds that contain the same uh, molecular weight. But then you have to go in, you go and mine it even further and you look at where does that compound come from. So for example, if, if there's 20 possibilities and 10 of them are from a sponge found in sea off California, you can be pretty sure that that's not going to be involved in brewing. So you can eliminate them 10. And then you, it's a, like a process of elimination. And then you can produce an image, and I'll, I'll show you an example in a bit. And then finally, we do identification. That's where you think, OK, then, so this, this molecule is this. This is what I think it is. Then what you do is you buy that substance, and you put that fruit machine, and you record how it flies to see if it matches with your sample. If it matches with your sample, you know you've got an identification. So traditionally, in archaeology, we're looking at these proteins and lipids. And um, they generally couple that with GCMS. Advantage at MALDI is, because it's so much more sensitive, you can look at these smaller molecules. And these, if you take proteins for an example, these will identify amino acids. So, when you do solvent extraction and you run it through GC, like we have done traditionally for the last 20 years, you, won't find, you, you possibly won't find a protein because it'll have broken down into its individual amino acids. We can detect them amino acids. So if we're going to do it, we need, we, need, we need to be able to prove that we can do it on pottery. Because pottery is a big, giant, organic piece of thing. <laughs> and this machine won't discriminate what it ionises and what it doesn't ionise. So I took a shared uh, replica medieval pot. And as I said about uh, amino acids, I spiked it with arginine. Then sprayed it with matrix, like I said earlier, that it enables it to break up and capture ions so that they, go, they get taken into a uh, chamber. And then I imaged it. And as you can see, we can detect it in ceramic. So we can discount all pottery that's ionised and we can find amino acid. So then we thought, OK, then let's see how far we can take this. So on the bottom here, I don't know if people at back can see it, it's just a series dilution. So this is a tenfold dilution of, I mean, of uh, arginine. Comes out really bright. On the far left there, that's a million-fold dilution, and we can still detect it in a piece of pot. So that just gives you an idea of how sensitive we can go with, with the machine. So we, do, we think you, you can fingerprint um, organic residues. Can that help us establish when uh, hops were first introduced? Because after all, this is like an archaeological question that we're trying to answer. In order to do that, we need to be able to distinguish between hops, a, a hop beer and an unhop beer. So like I said, they were using all sorts of different stuff. One of them is bog myrtle uh, and hops. But if we can't, 
we need to be able to chemically see that when we, when we put the samples through. So what I did is, much like these beers, what you've tried today, I went and bought two, one that contained ops, one that didn't contain ops. And this is a, a Maldi target plate. So this is traditional use, I suppose, of how you would introduce your samples to Maldi. I spotted them on a target plate, ionized sample, collected me uh, mass spectra, and then I did uh, this thing called uh, principal comp component analysis. And what that does is <clears throat> it reads, it, it takes one sample and it says, okay, so that constitutes that, and it puts it in, a, in, in space. And then it checks all other samples and it cross-references against that one. So if it's similar, it'll put it near it. The further away it is, the more different it is. And as you can see, they separate out really nicely the hopped beer and the unhopped beer. We already knew that. It tells you on the label that they're different, you know. <laughs> so then what we decided was we try it in pottery. So I managed to get hold of some replica medieval serving jugs and I bought five bottles of a hot beer, five bottles of a unhot beer, and poured one in, left it for 24 hours, and then refreshed it, and did that over five days. Then I thought, okay, then we need to smash them up and try them. Don't want to just smash them up on lab floor. Ever would not be happy if I did that. So we went to Bishop's house, <laughs> and it just happens to have a 14th century floor. So we decided we'd smash them on that. Then I was talking to my friend, you know, and she says, well, really, you need a medieval wench if you're going to do that. <laughs> so my friend <laughs> dressed up as a medieval wench. And like a good wench, she was really clumsy, and she dropped them and they smashed on the floor. So I collected these up, the individual pots, obviously keeping them separate, and thin-sectioned them. And then I ran it through Maldi again, and as you can see, we still get that, we did principal component analysis, we still get that separation, even in pottery. So we can discount whatever organics are in the ceramic and just focus in on the actual organics that we want to focus in on, which are beer in this case. So then what I did were, I produced column plots. And what these do is, they compare two samples, so in our case it's a hot beer and a non-hot beer, and in centre here, all these masses, all these mass-to-charge ratios, actually, are the most similar. So of the two samples and then the two extremes, it puts the, uh, the most different masses out there into these bins. These are 0.2 bins. So there could be 20 different, 20 unique masses in there. So you could have 20 different compounds. And what you have to do then is you go back to your data mining, you go in, you look at each individual one, you, know, you discount the obvious ones that it can't be. And then what you're looking for is compounds associated with brewing that you can say, okay, that could constitute our fingerprint. And what we found in OPT1 was we found two uh, compounds associated with hops. So these were the most different compounds. What we're hoping to do is take these compounds and build up 
obviously not based on two, but build up 30 or 40 of these where you could say, you know, with quite a lot of certainty, that's had a hot beer in it. You know, there are key compounds from fermentation, from malting, and from hops or whatever plants they're using as, uh, instead of hops. You take them compounds, you can start then to say, this, this pot's had beer in it. Then you can look at it even further. Interesting thing about this one is, we have this compound here, which is an alpha acid. This one's a beta acid. So this one's produced during boil. And this one is, is added after boil. So if I had to put my neck on line, I'd say that this beer would dry up at the end because you don't have any isomerization of this, so it don't go through boil. So when it, when it goes through boil, it changes compound. But because we've got this one, it means that they dry up to the end, which is, you know, it's an, it's an American IPA. They just stuff them in all the way through, don't they? So then, then we're looking at uh, the unopt beer, and we find this one, which is associated with coriander seeds. Now, on label at beer, it said coriander. It didn't say anything about seeds. So I, just, I emailed the company and just politely asked them, and they said, yeah, we don't use leaf, we use seeds. So we can detect whether or not they're using seeds or leaves. So when we're looking at as medieval stuff, at the plants that they're growing, we'll be able to tell whether it's seeds, leaf, that they're adding instead of hops. So we think that if you get enough good samples, you, you will be able to start to begin to, to, to get a picture at how it's happening. Do you want to get that? <laughs> I can have a drink. <laughs> Do you notice that I don't drink any of that beer that you're drinking as well? Is that a natural break you've not drinking that? <laughs> uh, so where were I on them? Right, yeah, so we, 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 we can produce a, a chemical fingerprint and we can apply that to medieval pottery, providing we can get right sample size, which I'll come on to. So, next thing is, if they weren't using hops, if we're going to say, OK, this, it's not enough just to say, oh, yeah, that's had beer in it, but it weren't hopped. We want to know what they were using instead of hops. So, like I said earlier, there's a big list uh, from this book, actually, um, and other, other things get mentioned in cartularies from, from individual monasteries. <coughs> but basically, the common, pretty common plants that everybody... Only one that I've had trouble getting hold of is bog myrtle. Because it's a wild plant, it grows up moors, you're not allowed to go and get it. But others, you can buy them, you know. And you can, if you go on Royal Society website, they'll tell you what closest relative is to medieval one that's available. So at the moment, I'm planting these up, a, a big variety of them. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to grow them <laughs> and I'm going to take samples at various stages. I'm going to uh, let some flower. I'm going to take them. I'm going to take samples and dry them out because in, in literature it does say that they are taking samples and drying them out and see how that affects chemistry when it's added to beer. Um, <laughs> And also flowers, because I reckon the, you know, these were growing wild in the garden. 
some of them would have ended up flowering and they were using everything. So that would have gone in beer. So then, in order to, to bring it all together, my, my plan is to take all historical records that we have and examine them. Big problem with monasteries, as I'm sure you know, is they were excavated years and years ago and you can't, you can't with any confidence, trust where pottery's come from, how it's been stored, how it's been processed. Because you need samples from really well excavated uh, sites, from really robust con uh, contexts. You need a really good provenance, otherwise you're just firing lasers at stuff and it's not telling you anything archaeologically about what you were doing. And then you can fin section and you can, you know, and this comes with its own problems in that no matter how good all this lot is, if you get this bit wrong, your sample's no good. Vice versa, if, if all this is good and this is not good, your sample's no good. And if all these are good and these have been stored wrong or they've been scrubbed or <laughs> something silly, it, it's no good. So you need to bring all these things together so that you can get it onto the machine having confidence that you, what you're seeing is real and it, you haven't generated it or it hasn't been generated by misuse or bad excavation or whatever. And then you can get your things, yep, sorry, you can get your, uh, your spectra and then from that, having already, knowing what you're looking for rather than going in blind. You know, when you put a piece of pot on, it throws off about 14,000 data points. Of that 14,000, probably eight are from actual ceramic. So if you, if you just go in and go, oh, that might be one, you know, it's gonna, you, you can't, you won't see wood for trees. Because like I said, ceramic is full of organics. You come up with this fingerprint, you're targeting what you're looking for. Being really specific and it allows you, like I said, with, um, with different compounds being associated with different aspects of brewing, you can sort of narrow it down and keep narrowing it down until you can say with some confidence, this is a pot that's had beer in it. And then you can start to say, it's had a hot beer in it or it's had an unhot beer in it. So that's about it really. Thank you for listening. Come on, Roger. Well, I'm just, I'm in, I'm in touch with Historic England at the moment. Actually, I've had an email from a guy today who's their Ed Scientific one, who's put me in touch with all um, Ed Scientists and post-excavation people of various units. <coughs> so I'm hoping that I'm going to get relatively modern, modernly excavated material from units. Obviously, that's in an ideal world. We don't live in an ideal world. It could be. I'm expecting it to be tough. And I'm also expecting it to be really random. So ideally, I'd like 50 samples of Yorkshire to try, you know, but that's just not going to happen. It's going to be a case of they've got material. We, we know it's robust enough. I'll use that. And it could be anywhere in country, wherever it is, I'll, I'll use it and then try and come up with some sort of geographical data to see if we can say, I don't know, it were regional, it were time-based or whatever, when, when they swapped 
over. Because it says, I mean, all literature points towards them swapping to hops um, because it increases the shelf life of beer. But modern science has looked extensively at hops and I can't find anything that says it increases its shelf life. It just changes taste. And it, it's believed to be um, antioxidant. But it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily, I mean, it may do. I just haven't found it yet. But everything I've looked at so far would indicate that it doesn't. So there may have been other factors as, as to why they changed from, hop, uh, from grit to hops. Could be possibly trade. You know, if, if a particular monastery were on a better trade ne network, they had easier access and cheaper access to hops, then they, maybe they changed. But honestly, at this stage, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying, I'm trying, <laughs> but I mean, I know, I know, surprisingly enough, I know a few brewers <laughs> and I can lay my hands on plenty of hops. <laughs> Do you think medieval beer is nice then? Uh, honestly, no, it's not going to be, it's not, it's not going to be, it's going to be completely different taste to what we have, what we associate with beer today. It's actually a lot sweeter. I've tried it in Mary Adams farm where they brew their own medieval ale. It's a lot sweeter than modern varieties, but it's quite nice. Yeah. Depending on what else you sort of thing or not. We'll see. I don't. I don't like any of it. So. <laughs> medieval or, or modern. <laughs> I quite like the medieval version there because they quite like. Sweet Is that because stuff. they're adding honey to it to sweeten it? Not necessarily. I mean, at the period that we're looking at, I was like. Elizabeth the first time, honey was quite expensive, so they didn't necessarily use as much of it, they just didn't add any hops to it. Right, okay. Like, presumably because hops were expensive or...? It's just it didn't seem to grow hops in Britain that much compared mm. to, say, Germany. Yeah. So... Okay. Sugar was expensive in that period as well, so not necessarily, like, if you're wealthy, then maybe. Yeah. You do get a lot of sugar out of malts as well. So if you're not introducing hops, then you might begin the sweetness from the malts not being overridden by alcohols and bitterness that you get in that. Yeah, that will probably be it. Yeah. Are there any more questions at all? Yeah. Uh, will you be dressing up as a monk to do some? <laughs> 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 um, I will be doing some brewing. <laughs> Uh, maybe. I'm not adverse to idea. <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> but you can't, you, you're not allowed to come because you're going to come in your room and get up and it's totally not in keeping with time. Yeah, I am, yeah. Please stick around, so if you've got any more questions that you can give later, welcome to ask me more questions later on, before it's too many. <laughs> uh, so thank you very much for the talk, Lee. No um, problem. Just so people know, next month's talk, we've got it from Chris Atkinson, who's actually here. So next month. And it's on Roman Crescent Hill, a community investigation. So once again, thank you very much, Lee, for your talk. Thank you. All right.
This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.